All right, let's talk making weight. Yeah. Um, so I want to start with why, obviously, obviously, if we're talking powerlifting, it's a weight class mm-hmm. sport. So you've got to make weight, but is that all you're interested in when it comes to making so, weight? Or are you, are you always looking to reduce people's weight within a... So when it comes to powerlifting, yes, obviously there is weight class weight classes. Now, my initial thinking with in, uh, clients or athletes who first start out in powerlifting is to not worry about weight class or making weight. Right. Um, it should be the last thing you think about because your priorities is to get stronger. Yeah. Now, this is more so especially for your very first competition. You get a first competition and it's like, cool. Uh, they'll immediately look at the weight classes and then think, oh, I'll best fit in that one. They always want to pick the one under because I think, oh, I can lose weight and get stronger. Yeah. Or it's like, I'll be more competitive in there and or whatever it right. is. And it's like, so when I, when I first get someone to compete, it's normally just about about competing, getting stronger. There's already so many variables to take uh, take into account. You're already going to make so many mistakes in your first competition. You're best trying to make it as easy as possible. Enjoy the process. Enjoy yeah. getting some personal bests and get them to fall in love with that process and getting stronger. Choosing a class because you think it's more competitive when you're probably not competitive and not going to be in any class yeah, for some time. The only way you're going to get competitive is get good at competing. Yeah. You know, I made a post about this the other day. It's like, don't wait till you're competitive to compete, compete to get competitive. And it's a skill to learn, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to go through all the learning process and you're not going to take yourself to the level without a form of, you know, that competitiveness. And then you Mm. don't have something to compare against competition to competition. And then you learn all the variables that you have in there. Now, there are some cases you might cut down for the first individual and there might be someone who's, you know, want to look and get stronger and is overweight. You know, it really just depends on their goal. So when people say, I want to make this weight class, I remove that conversation. The first thing I ask them is like, why are you doing a competition? I want, it's usually like, oh, I want to get stronger. I want to hit some PBs. Mm. Um, it's like, then that is what we're going to do. Okay. Now, if on the other hand, they have a um, body composition goal, you know, then we'll focus on body composition changes and not worry about making a weight class. Yeah. So if it's, you know, you know, uh, someone who is, say, 12 weeks out from comps and waist, 66, 67 kilos and wants to get down to the 60 kilo class, it's like, and we only have 12 weeks. It's like, that's 10% body weight over 12 weeks. It's going to be, you know, just under 1%, 1% a week right up until the day of competition. Now, for someone who hasn't done a competition at all, mm. um, that's going to be a lot of variables put in place. You're going to feel tired, exhausted. You know, you probably will get stronger and stuff, but you haven't learned all the good things about training because it's only going to feel shit. Yeah. So, We'll focus on changes in body composition to improve their body composition, but not focused on trying to make a weight class. Yep. So this is just removing the why and desire behind a weight class. And if it is about because they want to look better or be more competitive, but sometimes more about just being stronger and looking better, which is most of the most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just look better and be stronger. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. So go into whatever weight class you're in and just try to look better. 
So it's just reframing their thinking and understanding why they came. So this is another topic. It's just like, you know, finding the whys behind people's uh, goals. So if someone comes to you with a goal, the goal is for us is to find the why, and then there's your motivation. So the why of the why of the why tells you hmm. exactly why that person is doing it. And then you can come up with a better goal because you as the consultant or the coach needs to find the right solution for the right um, for the exact problem or the right problem that they have. Because their solution, they some a lot of most clients will come up with their own solution to their problem. We've got to find the problem to come up with a better solution. Right. And that's usually the start when an individual with a with a weight class or weight cut. Now, let's say over time we're we're improving now. Actually, we have one competitor now. She's coming to a second competition. Right, most of the time we had her on a maintenance diet. Okay, and so, uh, but with the maintenance diet, she was also losing. So it's probably the tiniest deficit because she was losing like one kilo a month. But it had been right. like say eight months, and now she's like it's gotten to a position where it's like oh, seventy five could be close enough. So it's like mm. it's not very low detriment to her to her performance progress. Yeah. You know, she didn't really have a specific goal for weight um, for for weight loss, but now that we're there, it's fitting in with just with with what overall what she wants, and still being able to compete to get stronger. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's now say level two of intensity. Yeah. You know. So now we look at individuals where who are highly competitive. Right. Yeah. So okay. we're, we're talking elite now. Right. Yeah. So there are multiple multiple ways to do it. Um, the number one best way to do it is to diet feed into a competition. Right. Okay. So that way you walk into the competition as well fed as possible to then maximize performance. Mm. Now there are a couple of ways to do this. So you can, depending on the time we have with it is that you can diet, diet down, uh, diet down months in advance. This is probably the best way. Yeah. Okay. Diet down months in advance, and then you eat up into it for two to three months. So if you're in a ninety kilo class, cut down to eighty five, then eat back up. And, and do you when when you're obviously doing your prep with the athletes? Do you do you just go off the weight class that they they naturally fall into, or do you actually sit down with them and go, okay, maybe we should look at long term going down a class weight class, going up a weight class? Do you? It depends on their competitive competitive goals. Right. In general, most when you get to the high level competition, let's say, look at the women. Yep. Uh, Seventy five kilo class is the king class. You know that's. That's the class you get the big invites in. That's the class with the most competitive females. So, seventy-five kilo class. If they're if they're heavier, they're normally dieting down to seventy-fives. Right. Then the next most competitive class is around the sixties. So, okay. usually those are the two two most competitive classes in the lightweight division, middleweight division. And so, um, we it may be dictated based off that or what they want to get out of it long term. We'll just sync it up with their long-term goals that I might just fit better in the, mm. you know, 75 or 67s because it better fits my body type. Um, it just really depends if how, how sync it is with their, 
competitive goals or body composition goals. But let's say, let's talk about the most elite of elite, okay? Um, they're going to go into the classes usually, especially when you get to invite level competitions. Yep. Um, uh, Pro Robin, probably the main one here in Australia, is that it's very specific weight classes. And so people will spend their whole year making sure that they're going to be able to make that make mm. that weight class. Um, so, but let's just get about making weight classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because that in itself, by determining people's goals um, that, and finding the best solution for it is another topic. Yes, of course. Okay, yeah. so let's just go into deciding the meth methods behind making making weight yeah. for a competition. Okay. So if everything aligns with what, you know, is the best decision for that, for that athlete to be competitive for an elite lifter, then number number one best way to do it is you diet over time, competition to competition to get closer and closer to that weight. Yep. Number two, if you're going to make it for a specific weight class by a certain time frame, then we would diet in the earlier seasons so that you have time to eat up, eat right. more at a maintenance or a slight slow pass so that we're able to get the most out of the hardest training period. Yeah. Number two is that you dial it in, you can dial in a weight class if they if they don't, you know, don't have as much weight or as a more refined timeline, then you would diet right as close as you can to the competition and then have a short refeed refeed period. Right. So uh, one, we've got one competitor doing that right now. She's gone from about 77, 78 kilos. We gone from States to nationals. So to get down to the 75 kilo class, we're going to try the best approach possible, which was, so the first approach we took for state championships is that, um, we dieted right down. We di we dieted really hard because she was at 60, 76 kilos. Yep. So the be instead of doing a water cut, we thought we'd say, okay, the best approach here is to diet down to 72 so we did a rapid loss after so just before she started testing we tapered the diet down keep it at a point where she can still do her training then we did a rapid drop right a really hard cut drop two three kilos pretty quickly then refeed back in into it and so that she hits 75 just under 75 kilos on weigh-in day and then still has another day to get back to her original right of course original weight um and that usually yields pretty high good results because you get a really good super compensation effect from uh from the diet yeah um so there's the short refeed period there's a longer refeed period which is i would find probably the most superior method we're doing that's one of the methods we're doing with sarah rainbow right now okay is that we did a um 12 to 16 week refeed period. She doesn't have a weight class to really worry about. She just competes in the super heavies. Yeah. But we usually to take advantage of the compensation effect she gets from a long period of dieting. Mm. And so from that, if you've been following and if anyone else is following, she has gotten crazy strong in the last, uh, in the last three months. And that's not by accident. It's all by design, you know, um, and that's manipulating the body weight, uh, manipulating diet to get that effect. So, so, so the uh, <clears throat> just to clear up, has the super compensation lasted three months? Is that what you're saying? With the, you because the refeed, you that can long? extend. You can extend it by you know having a progressive refeed over time, and then yeah. 
And then during that period, yeah, she compensates with extra strength gains. Right. Eventually that effect wears off. So her ability, so with diet, it works a little bit differently. You, you have the ability to um, store greater glycogen stores okay. for uh, a few, uh, for about a month or two. Um, it's most sensitive in its earlier stages, the first two weeks or so. So yep. you usually get a huge rebound in strength. So we utilize that period. But then we also just utilize being in, being in a surplus whilst taking the advantage of her being at a lighter body weight. Mm. Her being at a heavy body weight was a disadvantage mainly for her deadlift. Um, so How so? Changes in leverages uh, doesn't give you the ability to – main thing is usually people's stomach gets in the way with their ability to – um, keep the bar as close to their body as possible. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, so usually deadlift increases with weight loss. Um, usually wow. because it changes their leverages. Right. Okay. Um, my deadlift has, I, I've lost oh, eight kilos so far. My deadlift has only improved. Um, God, that's really interesting. Okay. Um, so, you know, taking so that takes advantages, take advantages of her, of her leverages now the the last um method is doing water cuts right so, this, this is the most controversial one this is the this is i mean most people have seen like boxes on on exercise bikes in saunas and all that kind of shit and nearly killing themselves the yep. problem the problem with this is that it's 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 should only be reserved for very specific, very specific reasons. Mm. Um, one, it's done because an athlete was lazy to do a proper diet plan. So it's last, last resort. Yeah, last resort. They're just lazy to do it, and they have to make a weight class because they may have committed to that weight class. And in some competitions, you can't change weight class. Right. Um, so they've already been invited to that class because they competed at that weight class before, and so they just got lazy. Um, number two is uh, very highly competitive individual who wants to fit into a really, really low weight class to try and take something that is big. Right. Um, so I did this with a lifter about, I've done heaps of water cuts with people, um, but there's a one that stands out the most, I did about five, six years ago, and we did a mixture of all of them. Um, we lost 17 kilos for a competition in about 16, 16 weeks. I think it was like 12 weeks. It's a short period of time. Wow, yeah. So we dieted, right? Then uh, we lost as much as we can, so we lost about, I think we lost about seven kilos. We were trying to get down, he was 107, wanting to get down to 90. Right. And he wanted to break the all-time squat record uh, for the 90 kilo class, which was 365 kilos. Right. Um, so we dieted down, lost seven kilos in a short period of time. And then, um, actually, you know, we lost that over, yeah, I think we must've lost over seven or so. I can't remember because it's quite a long time ago. And then we had to start the, so I think that we did that up until about two weeks out. Mm. I think we lost about eight kilos. I remember getting to about 99 kilos in the diet and he was got pretty lean by then. Like, so by that stage it was like abs and right. it was lean. So we still had another nine kilos to go, 10% body weight. Now there's levels of weight loss that we consider certain percentages of, of weight loss either, you know, safe to the point getting too dangerous. 10% gets to the dangerous end. Um, and we had 10% to do. So you have to manipulate every possible variable that manipulates your body weight. So 
we usually start two weeks out. The water cut process starts about two weeks out. So what you want to do is you want the body to naturally lose as much weight as possible. All right, that's the least detrimental yep. that we can can get. So first off is water. So um, there, the more if you drink more water, there's a hormone that gets the the antidiuretic hormone or vasopressin, I think it's called, is uh, the hormone that tells your body to retain water. So if we drink a lot of water, that hormone is reduced or another hormone is released. I can't 100% remember, but I know that hormone plays a really big role in water retention and regulates water, uh, water, water, regulates water retention. Right. So we aim for about um, uh, usually, usually just kind of base of their body weight. If you're 90 kilos, we'll have about nine liters. If you're t- t- 100 kilos, we have about 10 liters a day of water. <laughs> Fuck. A you have a day. Lot, oh my day. god! I can't yeah. even. I can't imagine what it would take to drink that much. Um, it's diff- it's very Jesus. Very, yeah, very difficult. That. Yeah. Um, and so, essentially, you drink this. You drink the water, and you're over about a, over about a week. You'll notice that you know you already start peeing a lot, but you'll notice you won't retain any water. Right. You'll drink. It's out. It's gone. Um, so that antidiuretic hormone in the body. Um, it's now it's very highly present or very highly present in uh, 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 low presence. So there's a diuretic hormone that's probably highly highly present. I don't know if it's just a lack of anti-diuretic hormone or just a high presence of the diuretic hormone. Um, anyway, the the body starts to release a lot of water and this only lasts for about less than 24 hours. Right. So you'll drink as much as you can and then you'll taper off super quick. So essentially, you're half you're half the water before your body will still release it, and then the next day you only have a quarter of that. So normally, if it's ten liters, you have five liters, then one liter. Right. All right, and you normally do that before twelve. So the one liter, kind of like having trickling it down, allows that hormone to still be present, but allows mm-hmm. you to drop more water than you're intaking. Okay. So you lose a fair bit of lose a fair bit of water. Next one is salt. Salt retains helps retain water, so you usually reduce salt levels, so we don't have have the bloating. So you you increase you increase salt levels, then decrease salt levels. Yep. Um, you taper the salt levels, taper the salt levels down. That produces another hormone that helps release when you have a high sodium intake. It helps release the sodium. Then you reduce it, and then the sodium output keeps going, and then you have low levels of salt in the body, which then is a bit of a mixture of dehydration and and um, low levels of salt. Yep. You can play with fiber levels. So um, fiber holds water as well. So okay. um, it holds it in the digestive tract. So you want to have a low fiber diet coming in. So you taper, you taper fiber out. Um, right, okay. And then glycogen stores. So one molecule of glycogen holds three molecules of water. So then you would want to reduce carbohydrate intake to then reduce the water retention um, that glycogen, glycogen, glycogen holds. So you, you managed you managed to get this athlete in a water cut down. I mean, obviously you had diet related changes too, but you went down seventeen kilos. Yeah. Uh, so after all those variables, there's a, there's a, there's a method to timing all that yep. quite well. Um, so that, and then usually by the end, um, if we have any more to lose, so that that or that. Um, so I'll do it in levels. If it's only have to lose 5%, you probably wouldn't utilize all those methods. Mm. But 
you can well, you, for someone for ten percent weight, well, you have to, you have to utilize all of it. Um, and so, if there's any more left, then we have to resort to trying to sweat the rest out. Normally, by this stage, um, this person is in a very critical state. They're very dehydrated. They're very, um, and especially if you have to try and draw more water out, especially when you force water out. Yeah. Um, that person really does suffer, and you have to monitor monitor their vitals really closely um, because you end up in hospital, you end up dead. Um, so wow. uh, we usually onboard pretty closely if they're ever, ever going to pull the plug um, on it. And so this is reserved for very, very experienced lifters and for people who have done water cuts before, maybe a smaller one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then done the next one because they're going to realize how actually painful it is. If you ever felt what hunger's like, you know, if you're really hungry and all you want to do is, mm. is eat, there is nothing more worse than thirst. Being thirsty, the urge to drink is really strong. Yeah, and you don't know that because you never get to a point where you're that thirsty. You get a point to thirst, and then you enjoy your drink, enjoy having a drink. But being dehydrated, where you've lost that much weight because of water loss, the urge your your natural urge to drink is far outweighs hunger. If you haven't eaten for a day and you're starving, that's like that's like on a scale, it's like a two compared to a ten. What thirst is like, wow. you just want you need the urge to drink is really high. Yeah. But that that's yeah that's quite understandable. You know, yeah, holy shit, it sounds like torture. Uh, yeah, it's hor- it's bad. Yeah, um, which is why I don't I don't recommend this for anyone, and I don't I rarely practice this with anyone um, anymore. Um, so it, it's a lot less these days. I don't think I have practiced with anyone in nearly four years, four or five mm. years, because they're just there are smarter approaches, and this only had been reserved for very elite athletes. I've only ever done it for people who either breaking all-time records or competing in pro role, which then added another other level of difficulty as well. So for those individuals, depending on the weigh-in times, then we have also the refeed period, which is very short, Yeah, you know, 24 yeah. hours. So the goal is to then restore everything that they have possibly lost or that they have lost and get them to a point where they can right. perform. Now for 10%, that's really hard, hard to do. Um, so usually the first thing you need, the most important thing is you need to get your water levels back up. So usually you're spending the first time getting minerals, electrolytes, and fluid, yep. fluid in. Second most important thing um, is once you get got to the water in, that takes that getting enough water in is going to take. So usually the average to get enough water in whatever body weight you lost, you have to then drink that by 150% per liter. So if it's like you lost five kilos, you'd have 7.5 liters. Right. Okay. Um, And to drink that will take, you know, for him, he had to have at least 10 liters, at least 10 liters of water and 10 if not more. And if anything, that's probably going to take him a couple of days to get, you know, to have that much water come in, put all that weight, water weight back Mm. on and all that stuff. So we have to prioritize drinking water. So, in the first in, in instances, you'll drink, will drink water, and then get extremely simple carbohydrates, carbohydrates in. So things that are very easily digestible, no fats, no protein, don't need it, especially with the amount of carbs you're going to be having. Um, and 
uh, essentially it's mainly just rice and salt is our main main go-to just rice and salt and you right. can normally if you just have rice and salt you can eat a lot of it because you're going to probably want to get depending on the depending on the individual size so for 100 kilo for 100 kilo 100 kilo lifter you're going to be wanting you know 8 to 10 grams per kilo of body weight um so 100 kilos like a thousand grams of carbs and this is what I mean. This normally, holy, fuck. normally you'd stretch this over three, four days. I, so I'm just so, trying to, I'm just trying to picture what a thousand grams of carbs. This in rice would. Lo- I mean, how many grams see, of rice would that I'm be? Honestly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is what you end up having to do, but this is what you have to do to get to a point where your performance levels are high. Yeah. So these are all the absurd targets you got to aim for for someone who's going to do such an extreme level of cut. And this is only for him. Okay, yeah, for yeah, other yeah, people, yeah. it's not going to be as much. Yeah, I'm, talk- I'm talking about the most extreme, extreme level. Yeah, that's unreal. And this yeah. is why, you know, if I'm doing a diet, diet and refeed phase, I'm refeeding over about five days. It takes me five days to get to a point where my glycogen stores are full. Right. And I'm normally having, so I taper. I normally taper. I start about five, six hundred grams a day. And usually by the by the competition, I'm having a thousand grams of carbs a day. Um. So not only has to have it in like in one day, but most of that he's not going to utilize. He's he's not even going to be able to retain all that. So for me to retain, I have to have it over a few days for mm-hmm. me to retain that much glycogen stores. So it's just this uh, it is very difficult to get to a point where he's fully restored. So carbs and glycogen, basically, oh sorry, car, um, carbs and water is the main thing there. We probably wouldn't focus on any protein and fats until the end of the day. Because the, the the protein and fats are gonna um, blunt digestion rates okay. for water and the carbohydrates. So normally they're spending eight hours just having water and rice and salt. Wow. Yeah. Um, and their electrolytes and all that stuff, and then yeah, they yeah. can feed on the rest of the stuff. And normally we wouldn't have let allow. Well, my school of thought has changed, so then we would load the fats up at the end of the end of the day, but. Um. Uh, it sh- you know research shown is that it fats probably don't play as a bigger role for strength athletes. Um. Uh, performance wise, it's obviously just mainly the carbohydrates, water, and salt. Okay. So we just mainly focus on that, and just get their recommended daily intake of fats by the end of the day. Um, which are going to be anywhere between point eight and one gram per kilo body weight. So. You know, for someone ninety kilo, a ninety kilo lifter, that's probably like you know, 65, 70 grams to about ninety yeah. grams of carbs of fats, um, which we we'll just focus on having at the end of the day. And because there's so much food to get down, fats and protein are going to suppress your ability to eat food. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it all has to be timed, and normally this is timed to the minute because you only have a certain rate of uh, fluid uptake. That your body can handle, and a certain and there's a rate of glycogen uptake, mm. which is roughly I think uh, oh, from memory is like one gram, roughly one gram a minute. Roughly, you can take. Um, I can't hundred percent remember. I think it's about one gram a minute, and then fluid is like about two hundred to three hundred mils mm-hmm. every 15, 15 minutes or so. Um, so we have to, and that can change depending on body weight. So we have to base it around, base it around, 
your digestion rate and how much time you got and how much you need to get in. So mm. you might not be allowed to have any fats or protein or any real food until very, very late because it is important that we get that in. Then we still have the next morning and to, to the day of the competition to try and fill out the rest of that if we've lost anything. So normally the next morning is usually you already lose about 200 grams of glycogen overnight, um, right. roughly depending on the individual size and, uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, 100 to 200 grams you have to replace first thing in the morning and then, then you get to start to actually refill glycogen stores again. Um, so then you'll have to have as much time you have between then and the competition to get rest of your glycogen store levels up and you have all of competition to continue to drink carbohydrates, maintain fluid levels up. And it can take until, I've had people take until the next day, until the morning of the competition after drinking, trying to get fluids, salts and carbohydrates in, taking after like 10, 12, 13 liters of water, not until they actually compete before they actually piss a normal color again. So this is... I, I so understand this, this is I highly do not recommend this. This is for only reserved for elite athletes. And I'm not just saying this to protect my ass or anything. This is actually something I don't yeah. don't recommend. Um, uh, but how, it is a method that is that can be used and um, mainly don't recommend it because it's very dangerous. Yeah, so so I, I do want to talk I do want to talk through the dangerous, but um I'm interested, having gone through all of that. Are these lifters, how do they feel about their performance? Is is is, is do they do they perform up to their potential, and does it feel usually, the same? Or usually, they- um, with all the people who have done up to <clears throat> up to ten percent in body weight, um, it's mostly there if they followed my schedule, right? And it's a very tough schedule, of course. Um, so the one people who are able to follow it perfectly, most of the time, they a lot of the most more time than often they can't get it all in. Mm. They can't get all, you know, they, um, the usual ones who do follow it, I've had the guy who did the 360, he needed to do the 365. He didn't end up getting the 365 and he actually didn't blame the diet. He said he felt good enough to hit it on the day. Uh, I can't remember why he missed, missed that, but he ended up with 345. Um, I had a, some, some girls at 2017 nationals cut down for a weight class and it was to win the competition is the reason why they want to do it. They wanted to win nationals. Right. I mean, I coming second and her performance was mostly there. I don't remember her performing poorly. She came, she came second. Um, but the gap was a bit big. And if I think we missed some thirds that we knew she should have got, but didn't quite get, right. she didn't quite fully, fully recover, but they got a substantial number of their performance back. Yeah. Um, and then that lesson she realized she never wanted to do a cut again, you know, um, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, so that, uh, and yeah, so there's a, when you're doing it too, depending on the, how much weight they got to cut, there's a priority, like, you know, I'd rather wa- reduce water rather than food first. I'd rather, um, leave the carbohydrates in as long as I can only right. drop it near the end so there's like you know you can look at the severity and level they got to lose and you can then tailor the program to best suit the best path of least resistance um, some school of thought is people that try to do an overweight cut so they can start to eat uh, eat and drink earlier Yeah, but I don't think so I think it's best just to come in as tight as you can because it's not the same as dieting, dieting mm. down. 
So it is, yeah, it is better just to, unless you're, like you said, how you said Steffi Cohen was doing it. She's already as lean as she's going to get. Yeah. There's no way she's going to make a weight class unless she actually. Well, the, 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 this, this is the problem. Like you can only lose weight if there's fat there, right? So if you're incredibly lean. Yeah. What you, is you can, with, with, like with all that, all those resources I told you, you can lose 10%, an extra 10%. So what what are the is there somebody listening now right mm. and they're like okay sweet I'm gonna give, I'm gonna water cut right and they they're doing it themselves could we just highlight what are the dangers of doing it wrong um so obviously there's there's the extreme dehydration death. and death. death yeah um do I, I know in boxing they've attributed a lot of brain injuries um. In not in the it's apparently in the super heavyweights it's not an issue, um, but in the at the lower weight classes they have attributed a number or there's a suspicion that a number of brain injuries from knockouts mm. are as a result of extreme water cutting and basically the the water, they haven't got enough water in there and the padding they normally would have had around their brain wasn't present and. Mm they get cracked in the head and that, that's caused brain trauma um so I, is there any is there any negative implications like could there be significant health risks once you perform like because obviously um well, you can just you can just look up you can just i'm just looking up now um just the symptoms of extreme dehydration um and I know there's different, I, I can't find there's a graph somewhere talking about like the percentage of dehydration mm. can result in these, these possible symptoms and getting up to 10, 10% plus is like getting like death and, you know, possibly like, you know, here's like kidney disease, gallstones, um, hypertension, constipation, depression, muscle cramps, um, heat exhaustion, um, Organ failure. Uh, <laughs> organ failure. These, yeah. And so normally what it is is that the most dangerous time part of it is normally exposed to the shortest period of time, which is mm. the dehydration. Right. Um, so um, if normally they're going to maintain a lot of their weight, they might lose a couple of kilos over the two-week period that we start it, but usually they won't lose too much. We only lose it really in the last... 24 to 48 hours right. um, when we start to deplete every taper everything out and taper out the water taper all yeah. that stuff out and so usually the only usually they might stop drinking the water around 12 and they might weigh in at 10 so that's about 20 hours yeah. or so of dehydration which they're normally still hydrated in the first quite hydrated for the first half day and then normally overnight they get very thirsty yeah uh, so usually that whole day usually the whole day is pretty uncomfortable um, um, and so, yeah, that means that we keep the exposure time to the dangerous period, the shortest possible. As, as narrow as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, that's probably the, well, I'm going to say the best way to get through it. Just, I just don't recommend anyone doing it. It should be just reserved for the absolute elite. And I don't think it should be done. At all, no, I mean, it, like I don't. I haven't practiced it. I haven't practiced it in a very long time with anyone. Um, we just be smarter with our dieting. 
Yeah. And even with the absolute elite elite guys now, it's it's like you just have to diet if you want to be at that elite level. And if you get to a point where you're extremely elite, then that's probably when you can do it. But I mean, like you're already under 10%, you're like freaking eight, 6% body fat and you're already five, six, seven kilos heavier than the weight class. And you want to go down and, and like demolish, you know, the world, then that's probably a time. That's probably a time you might need to do it. Yeah. But that, that, that's and a lot You're pretty, money. pretty elite. Like most elite, you know, you can just diet. Yeah. You know, um, normally there's a couple of kilos if you just, like I said, if you're lazy, I've had a couple of athletes who are just lazy at dieting. Mm. You just do a couple of kilo cut and refeed. And normally, usually, usually if you do spare of the moment cuts, um, they perform worse than someone who did a longer wet water cut and lost more weight. So I can lose 2% for someone who, if you just did a day before, it's like, oh, I haven't made weight. So they'll go sauna, they'll go lose carbs and yeah, they'll yeah, drop, yeah. they drop everything they can in one day. Then, do, then, then try to refeed or back. They normally perform worse than someone if I'd lost five percent, but had perfectly timed all the, right, all the nutrition. Okay. Because you know you could get away with just still eating carbohydrates and still having a good diet, you know, fair bit of food coming yeah. in, um, and just do water, just do a water cut, um, and you can lose a fair bit there. And you can even just reduce dietary fiber and sodium levels and still keep food coming in. So, you know, at least we still have mm. glycogen stores, but you've reduced the water by a few percent your body weight by a few percent because of water manipulation. So yeah, different stages of intensity to do it. The example I use is obviously one that was very extreme. Yeah, yeah, obviously that, that's on the most extreme end. Yeah. yeah. And we, yeah, you want to leave all the sauna and wet sweatsuits and stuff to the very last, very last minute. Yeah. So we normally use that because I got, because I had practiced this a fair bit with um, quite a few <clears throat> elite athletes, I knew exactly what weight they needed to be at at various times of the yeah. day to be ready for the morning of the weight for the weight cut. Because then, usually after a big water cut, you know they wouldn't lose any more over sleep. So we would have to then make sure that they're well. You'd only lose about half a percent of your body weight over sleep by right. that stage. Normally, you'll lose about one to two percent. Um, but only is about half a percent, maybe one percent, if they still had more room. So we have to ensure that they're they got to be sixty kilos, and they have to be sixty point six the night before. Right. You know. So then we can time the weight loss over that over that period of time. Um, we've had people who are so dehydrated that even having a shower put weight on their skin absorbed fluid. <laughs> oh shit! Um, That's incredible. Um, and they put weight back on. Wow, that is incredible. So. Um, you got to the point where you just stop recommending. Stop recommending. Yeah, that's shower. insane. That's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, again, don't recommend it. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I can't say that. It. I can't say that enough. I don't want someone on here listening who's new at lifting trying to do a water cut. Yeah, you'll hate powerlifting forever. <laughs> Fucking hell. Especially with your early experiences yeah, yeah, of yeah, doing yeah. it. Definitely. Um, all right, but yeah. Actually, just say all this information is for entertainment purposes only. Yeah, it's all highly prescriptive. You should you always have to go and consult somebody if you want to do any of the stuff we talk about anyway. Mm -hmm. It's never the recommendation to, even when it comes to the lifting advice, it's never the recommendation to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, you obviously go and see a coach or uh, get an expert. Yeah, 